When you enrich the lives of your employees through purpose-powered leadership, they'll grow your business for you. Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast, where you'll discover how to champion a culture of courage and love. Stop dealing with symptoms and get to the root of the problems in your business. This is the Higher Purpose Podcast with your host, Kevin Monroe. Welcome to Episode 62 of the Higher Purpose Podcast. What a joy to spend time with you today. Today's conversation is one that's been months in the making. Let me explain. Steve Brown, my guest, is one busy guy. He's passionate, energetic, and exciting. I met Steve on the very first day we launched the Higher Purpose Podcast through the kindness and generosity of Jennifer McClure, and we've been developing a friendship ever since. So thank you, Jennifer, for making the introduction that uh, led to this being possible. Now, Steve, he's the VP of Human Resources for La Rosa's, and you'll hear more about that later. He's the author of HR on Purpose. You'll hear more about that as well. He runs the Everyday People blog, which I love the tagline of that blog. Managing to find the extraordinary in everyone. Steve's also on the board of SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management. Hey, a quick programming note, if you're listening sequentially to the podcast, you might have been expecting to hear my conversation with Juliana Park today about the Abundance Loop. Well, life happens, and Juliana had unexpected travels that preempted our conversation. Hopefully, you'll hear that conversation next week. Now, let's move on with Steve. Hey, I want to welcome Steve Brown to join me here on this episode of the Higher Purpose podcast. Welcome, Steve. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing, man? Man, I am doing well. And, and you know, I got to ask you, how are you today? I am fantastic. It's a wonderful day. Way too hot. My gosh, it's like an oven here. But other than the heat, it's a wonderful day. Okay. Now, we're going to get into the podcast in just a moment, but I was expecting you to say something else. I'm just going to, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I set you up with that one because- Yeah, I know. You wanted to say I was geeked. I am all the no, time. No, no, no. That wasn't it either. I don't know I that. You would say I'm full. I am full. Because Every there day. was a line in your book. And when I was reading the book, and I found this earlier today, I wrote a note to myself in my Kindle, not wrote a note with a pen, typed a note. <laughs> it said, Start by asking Steve, how is he? And see if he says he's full or not. Now, why would you say you're full? Where does that come from? I think when people say they're busy, they're wasting time. They're doing things they don't like. Full is I am full. In US, you have different things going on, life, work, civic stuff. But when you're full, you're doing what you want and you're doing what you're called to do. Mm. If you're busy, it's ticking away, it's chipping away, it's a burden, it's something you regret or don't want to do or don't look forward to. And that can be something as simple as a conversation or a task that's in front of you. For me, it reframes how I approach things. And I like to look at it like, hey, this is the nice thing I get to do. How awesome is that? And it honestly allows me to have more capacity to do more things. Wow. Okay. We're going to come back to that in a moment. I want to back up how I've been starting every conversation I've had lately. I don't want to miss out on you. I want to back up and say, Steve, in this moment, what are you grateful for? Because I've been seeking to ground everything I do in gratitude. So what's something you're grateful for right now? A few things. Okay. Uh, one, my daughter just got a job. And for her to have have an adult get a job, big deal. 
And she got her PhD just earlier back back in she the did. spring or summer. Yeah. Yeah. And to see her walk through that and go through the struggle of the job search and to see her start to get on her feet and start experiencing life outside of college, it's been fantastic. And that's one thing. Okay, what's your daughter's name? Let's make this personal to folks. Sure. My daughter's name is Melanie. Melanie. She is my Christmas gift. She'll be 25 this year on the 25th of December. Wow. So, true gift. And then my son, Josh, is a junior in college, or senior in college. Goodness, he'd kill me. (laughs) And he is so eager to get out and get on his feet and move into the next stage of his life. I'm so excited for him. And as parents, my wife, Debbie, and I are just excited to see our children grow and move forward and start taking their steps out of the nest. We're very, very grateful for it every day. Awesome. All right. So we got the gratitude conversation and the get to know you, Steve, all bundled into one there. So I appreciate (laughs) that. But now, Steve, you said you are full and your life is full in, in many ways. You wear many hats. Talk to us about a couple of those hats. I mean, right now I'm talking to you. You're in the office of your day job, which is? I'm the Vice President of Human Resources, which is my formal title, for La Rosa's Incorporated. We're a regional pizzeria. We're kind of an icon. It's not just a restaurant. We've been around for 64 years. Wow. And uh, we're an institution. People in Cincinnati know us through personal experience, not just through our food. They can tell us stories about engagements, uh, funerals, sports teams. We hear more people stories and family stories, and they go, oh, and your food's great too. (laughs) Wow, wow. And there are people that have like wedding receptions at the pizza restaurant, Absolutely. This is just a very different kind of place because what you said, you are an institution. You are part of people's stories, part of their lives, part of their journey. I love that. Yeah, when we do market research, Kevin, it is so amazing because they'll say, I can't get enough of your food, and this is where I met my wife. And you go, what? And they (laughs) tell you all these stories. I went and spoke at a chamber event this morning, and everybody around the table tells you about their experience with us. Mm. And they mention the food. But first and foremost, it's a life experience. And to be the head of people in an environment like that, uh, you can't ask for more. That's right. Okay. And then what do you do in your volunteer realm? I mean, there's a lot of, you almost have like a full-time job in your volunteer realm. What is that? I do. I am on the SHRM board of directors. SHRM is the Society for Human Resource Management. I've been active with SHRM for almost 20 years at the local level, regional level, state level, national level. And now I sit on the actual board of directors of the company itself. But I get to represent companies that are more like the membership because I work for a mid-sized company. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting at the table with people from Fortune 100 companies and, you know, talking shop, talking people. But I get a chance to speak all over the country, go visit. I can't get enough of people. It's one of those things I talk to people and say, hey, I hate it, Kevin, when people interview and go, I'm a people person because I can prove them wrong in about two people. (laughs) (laughs) And how do you do that? What what do you mean? You're just like, come on, I know you don't like someone. They're like, well, and you go, I see. (laughs) But I'm a person who thrives on being around other humans. It drives me. Mm. Anytime I can be in situations where I can influence that or 
fill other people's lives or listen to their stories. Mm. It's very important. It's key to me. It's why I think I'm around. Mm. Wow. Okay. So that leads segues into this question. At this point in time, how do you understand your personal purpose? I fill my day with daily interactions with people. Mm. Now, it's not the shotgun, hi, Kevin, how are you doing? And I'm five steps past you, not really caring like most people. They you know, do drive-by hellos because we really don't care because we're afraid you're going to bring up some horrifying story instead of understanding something amazing might be going on in your life. Mm. I'm being much more intentional, probably more than I ever have in my career, in investing my time in other people at work, outside of work, online. I just feel this urge to connect them, connect with them, listen to them, mm. not be distracted by them or like, oh, that's a wasted story or gee, I'm not, I can't relate to that. Mm. Too many people I find don't listen to each other. Mm. And my boss said the coolest thing and it's really stuck with me and I'm making it more of my daily practice that acknowledgement is the best form of recognition. Okay, let's unpack that. Acknowledgement is the best form of recognition. What does yes. that mean to you? What was the context in which he said that to you originally? You remember? Yeah, we work in a challenging industry. Restaurants are tough. You know, it's you're on your feet all the day and you're making food for people that complain about whether there's four pepperonis or 10. <laughs> and, you know, we don't focus on the good stories. And one of the things he really mentioned to me was, you know, go in and thank the people that come and do the work that take care of your job. Mm. And I said, okay, well, what do you mean by that? Because it matters that a cook does well, but we need to tell them that we're thankful they're there. Thanks for coming in. Great to see you. And he says, and you'll learn about their lives. Now, he and I are cut from the same cloth. I love hearing stories about people because they're fascinating. My gosh, and everybody's different and unique and sometimes odd. You're like, ooh, that's weird, but okay. <laughs> But to just pass by and get to the task at hand or the work at hand or what's not happening well, it's just a backwards way of looking at people and at work. So I just love meeting our people and telling them, we just had a new pizzeria open this week. And I've been over there, let's see, three days in a row now. I didn't go the first day because I knew it would be chaos. And every day I go and go, David, how's it going today? Oh, man, and they just tell you these glorious stories. And, you know, Joanne, great to see you. Joanne's a 30-year server. Mm. How's it going? New location. What's happening? She says, oh, I love it here. Just to hear their enthusiasm and allow them to share it mm. and to value it, not just to play some game, parlor trick game, but to value their experience, mm. it just doesn't happen, especially in the workplace. And I've been a person who always believes you model what you expect in others. So I can't say, hey, Kevin, I want you to recognize people. And then I just blow people off. Steve, I'm making a note there. That's good. Have you always been a people person? Yes. I just didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I had growing up, I was struggling in college and not doing well. And I'm, you know, I was valedictorian in my class. And then I was almost failing. I was inches from leaving college. Hmm. And... Uh, my mom said now that she's the best human on the planet. Uh, real quick side story. Last year, she was named Citizen of the Year in my hometown. Okay. What's mom's name? Connie Fleming. Hi, Connie Fleming. If you ever listen to this, just know we're grateful for you and we're giving you a shout out. 
Absolutely. And this last week, she got to be in a parade in the hometown. I mean, just cool stuff. But the thing I love about her, there's lots of things I love about her, but the one thing I love about her the most is she's very grounded in who she is. Mm. And my mom was a teacher for 30 plus years teaching secretaries, not administrative assistants. And the secretaries would come back to her years later, invite her to weddings and give her baby pictures. And here's where I'm working, Mrs. Fleming. And so she just, again, modeled what she expected in others. She's a pillar. And she says, you know, you're around people all the time. And I said, yeah. And she says, come on. And I went, oh, oh, okay, got it. (laughs) And then when I finally realized that, it gave me better perspective to say, I need to be in some sort of arena where I'm immersed in people, not just passing by. It needs to be a daily touch point for me in order for me to do my best. Mm-hmm. You know, Steve, you and I, I think we're cut from some of the same cloth as well. And part of this, and I think people can look at folks like us that are positive. And I want to ask you where your positivity comes from. But when I really peel it back, I'm like, I don't know where it comes from, but I genuinely care about people. Sure. It's just real. When I ask, when you sit down to a conversation like that, and I know this is true about you, with the dishwasher, and you're asking, that's not a gimmick. No. That is not a gimmick. It's not some line you learned in a course. You just, you're interested and you care about them. So tell me about you and, and they feel it, right? Last night when I was at our new pizzeria, a mom, her mother, and two little girls came in and they were just giggly, giggly, giggling, you know, because they're kids and that's, you can't miss that. That's wonderful. So I stopped what I was doing and I looked straight at them. I said, did you order pizza? They said, oh, we did. Like it was some astonishing thing. Like, how did I know? (laughs) Kids eat cheese pizza. That's what they eat. So I go, is it cheese? And they go, oh my gosh, you did? Oh. And the mom and the mother just smiled. And for one moment, whatever they were facing, it was a distraction enough to say, someone took enough time to care. It's not a script. It's not, I can't help myself. If I see it, it's worth stepping in. Very rarely do you get somebody pushing you away or, or getting harsh with you. I think the biggest thing, where does it come from? I've always been very observant. Mm -hmm. So... I remember when my wife and I were dating, she said, you know, the thing I love about you is you look at things differently. I'll walk by and see nothing and you walk by and see everything. Wow. And I went, okay, is that good? She goes, yes. Funny point, and this may pertain to you too. We were in New Orleans years ago for a Sherm conference. I, first time I'd been there, taking in everything. Look at the architecture. Boy, look, look at the grind. He goes, oh, you're not all good. You're like, Ew, look at all this stuff. And I walked out into traffic. And she grabbed me and pulled me back. And she says, you know what? You never look down. Hmm. And I went, well, why would you? (laughs) And she says, says, well, I never look up. I said, that's why we're married. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, you know, there's beauty in everything. And there's something to learn from everything. And I know that sounds cliche or like some, you know, successories poster. (laughs) But it's not. I mean, I just... I can't get enough of everything. Life fills itself every part of every, every day. Mm. Mm. So where did your positivity come from for you? I've never known anything else. Okay. I really haven't. I think my faith, first and foremost, mm-hmm. 
because I believe that's how I was created. Mm. And I wasn't meant to be on the earth to tear things down. I get more blue or in a funk when I'm surrounded by constant negativity because as a positive person, you really are surfing against the flow all the time. You know, every day we have the opportunity to fill our days with something positive, starting the day or something negative. Mm. Mm. Got to stop and say that again because somebody, <laughs> you're listening and right now your life is overflowing with negativity and you're wondering why your life is feels the way it does. So say that again. You have a choice every morning. Every morning. Every morning. When you get up, you can start on a positive note or a negative note. Mm. And it doesn't mean puppies and unicorns. It doesn't. It just means I have a great opportunity to face the day-to-day. If it's a challenge, hey, I have a challenge. Some people don't have challenges. Hey, I have a real tough thing to, a problem to solve. Well, you know what? Isn't that great that you have the skills to provide to do that? So it's just reframing things and looking at it from a way of how can I move forward into this situation instead of letting it wash over me and crush me? I have family situations. Everybody does. You know, it's not poppy-eyed naivety. It just isn't. It's funny. I find, and I don't know if you find this, positive people tick people off. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you're like, you're positive all the time. Yes, I am. Well, why are you? Now, my question is, what's stopping you? Yeah, why not? They're like, you're a jerk. I go, I know. It's fantastic. Let's be jerks together. I remember showing up for a client project, 7.30 in the morning. You know, And I've always been a morning person. And uh, I show up and, and the lady says, gosh, you're chipper this morning. Or she goes, how are you? I said, I'm great. And how are you? She goes, I have the feeling you're always great. Yes. And I said, yes, we get to choose, right? Why choose something else? And then my wife can tell you there are down moments. And, you know, I, I was having a down moment earlier this week. And before we hit record, I was telling you about that. Yeah, wonderful. I interrupted myself in that moment. And I just sent someone a text that was going through something else. I just thought of somebody that I knew was doing something difficult at this moment. So my life's bad at this moment. Oh, no, there's somebody else. So let me just get the eyes off me, look yeah. outward, and do something for someone else. And boom, all of a sudden, life was good again. Absolutely. When uh, I was in Boston last weekend for a meeting, and my wife and I were meandering around because now we're empty nesters and we can meander officially. <laughs> and we walked by a young lady whose job was to let cars into a parking lot or let them out, not to get payment. She was just the security guard. She opened the kiosk and said, happy Monday. And I went, what? And she says, happy Monday. I said, that is fantastic. And my wife said, you're going to talk to her, aren't you? I said, yes, I am. So I watched her and she greeted every single person with happy Monday. You don't know if she's having a good Monday or not. Right. But she chose to pour into other people's lives for two words to reframe their day. I just think it's a lot easier than we think. The negative push against us can swallow us within seconds. Yeah. It can be a mere phrase that changes someone else's life for the day. Gosh, that reminds me. I have a mentor, Erie Chapman, ran hospitals for a number of years, and he tells the story of a lady that was the clerk in the lunchroom, and there were several, three or four cashiers in the lunchroom, and this lady's line was always long. 
And uh-huh. Erie would go down there and he'd see the line and he'd try to get people to other. No, they wanted to be in her line because she had a nick or a knack for transforming the exchange of money into something more and just saying something to lift people's spirits, to connect with them just in that moment. It didn't take her longer than anyone else. It was just like that security person. Happy Monday. You just see there's an opportunity to transform this transaction into an encounter. Oh, I love that. Love that. And it is. It's just being aware of people. So, all right. So, Steve, Steve Brown. I started to call you Brown E. Brown E. (laughs) Brown with an E on the end. It's Steve Brown. No. Wrote a book, HR on Purpose. Why that title? I'm in a great field that gets to deal with humans. And too often in many fields, people make things cliche and catchphrasey and business language and jargon. Instead of just talking about people like people. And too many of my friends and peers apologize for what they do. Mm. And it just strikes me to my core. I'm like, no, no, no. I get to work with people. This is fantastic. And so I wanted to write something that said, own who you are and own what you do. Because you have a chance to impact someone's life every day. And it's not trite. It's not something like, you know, again, some poster. It happens. You might be the person that you filled out an employment verification. You go, that's stupid. That person just got a house because you filled out that form. Mm, mm. And you go, oh, I, I didn't think of that. Oh, no, you didn't. Or someone who could have lost their job because they had a bad day. Mm. And you step back and go, I bet you're having a bad day. And your behavior really shows it. Let's work with that. And just give HR, HR sorry, a little more latitude to thrive in the work that we do instead of just showing up. For too often, a lot of HR people are miserable, miserable people. Mm. They get burnt out. They get beat down because companies and people tend to live on the dark side of work. And so every day, I mean, every day, Kevin, people go, oh, here's a problem. I'm like, sweet. What do we got? And they're like, no, come on, let's go. And that kind of stuff, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't shake me. I think it's wonderful. It's why I'm here. Mm. Uh, real quick story yeah. uh, when I've been able to present on this or speak at conferences something that's been just cutting to my soul lately honestly is people will come up in tears mm. and just want to be held and they go I was going to quit HR today Wow! and I met you and heard you and read your book and I just needed to hear this and I'm like this is awesome bring it in wow. and so I didn't intend that for the book, but, you know, it was outside of me to have that happen. Wow. Well, and it may be because you wrote that book. I'm not an HR person. I do not do, you know, extensive work in the HR world. It was a um, friend of ours, mutual friend of ours, Jennifer McClure. Jennifer's the bomb. Hello, Jennifer. Hello, Jennifer. It's your second shout out in the podcast. I said something about you in the introduction because you really are the reason Steve and I met, and it was on the first day that we released this podcast that we'd asked people to shout out to a hero or a mentor in their journey, and Jennifer shouted out to you and tagged HR on purpose, and because I'd launched the Higher Purpose podcast, and so there was something, and then you jumped right into the Twitter conversation, and that's when we connected, and I saw this 
first off, I got to tell you, I didn't see it as HR on purpose. I saw Hron purpose, and I thought that was John <laughs> Hubble's brother or something. I'm like, what? Hron purpose, but HR uh-huh. purpose. So, if people aren't doing HR on purpose, what are they doing it on? Autopilot, accident? I mean, that's a great question. I think it's out of obligation. Hmm. The place I spoke at this morning before coming on here, I'm really toying with the whole idea that we think that by the more we control people through rules, regulations, policies, procedures, systems, that will get the best out of them. And that's never been true. Yeah. Ever. And HR can, if it doesn't watch itself, be that group that just keeps building more and more fences and more and more walls and more and more obstacles instead of removing them and allowing people to do what they do well. Yeah, wow. So I want to teach HR professionals, quit building walls, tear them down. Wow. Quit forcing systems, allow performance, and Hmm. expect the best in others. It seems very simple, but one of the things I heard at a SHRM conference a few last year, Patrick Lencioni, fantastic author, great business author. People have been critical of his work. They go, gosh, Patrick, it's so simple. And he says, I know, but people don't do it. (laughs) And when I heard him say that, I've heard people say that about my book. They go, you know, this is great for, it seems real simple. I said, I know, but you're not doing it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that, didn't know that Patrick had said that or that was his approach. I'm tired of people just showing up, Mm. filling space. The sad thing about that from an HR perspective, Kevin, is if that's how HR looks at it within an organization, that's how people will be viewed. And if that's how people are viewed, we look at the negative side of who they are and what they bring to the table instead of the awesome side of who they are and the awesome things they do every day Hmm. and bring to the table. So it's just, I don't know. Too many of my friends are just hollow shells and they don't need to be. They're wonderful, wonderful, great people. But someone needs to believe in them. And I put myself in that path. Let's stop a moment. There are two or three things I want to unpack here. One of these, I think you could create the whole franchise, like chicken soup for the soul. Uh There could be this whole franchise. There could be HR on purpose. There could be engineering on purpose. There could be... Oh, sure. Whatever that is, you could just have the blank on purpose series, and that'd be a great series. Because whatever work you're doing, whatever the work is you do, there's an opportunity to do it on purpose, to do it with intention. Or to just do it, you know, mindlessly and do it out of routine and do it out of, did you say obligation? Was that the word? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Out of obligation, not showing up. But what would you say to those people? What would you say to someone, whatever their job is, that it's become a rut for them? And you've probably heard the definition of a rut, a grave with both ends knocked out, you know? (laughs) It's just so routinized. There's no joy in it. There's no happiness in it. There's no purpose. They just feel stuck. What would you say to them? I'm in the pizza business and we make pizza with dough. And we have a bakery and the bakery people show up at four in the morning to Mm. stretch dough. And we had some turmoil going on, some drama going on. And I went in one day, naively, and said, what's the big deal? It's just dough. And Sue, who's the administrative assistant there, said, no, no, no. This is what they do. This is their job, and this is the value they add to our company. It's not just dough. 
It's the beginning of our guest experience. And I went, what? So I went back and said, okay. And thanked all the people for stretching dough at four in the morning while I'm asleep. (laughs) They do a routine job. Mm. The bakery where we do our dough has the highest seniority of any location in our company. Wow. 40-year employees, 35-year employees, 30-year employees who make dough. Mm. To me, it's a baseline. Mm. If I treat your jobs as just a, like you're just a receptionist, you're just a, and in organizations, we tend to think anybody who's below us is just a, then that's how they're going to be treated. And that's got to be blown up. Now, I'm thankful you're a cook. Since you're a cook, I get to have a job and be in HR and be on a podcast. Since you stretch dough, I get to help you have a life in a house and all kinds of stuff that matter to you in a career. It's not just that. It's what you're made for. Love it. Love yeah. it. I love the people that I love when you learn from, you know? So there is an old book title, and I'm going to have to dig it out and read it because you saying this, there have been about seven times in the last two weeks that this phrase just keeps running through my mind. Francis Schaeffer wrote a book, No Little People. Oh, nice. There are no little people, you know? And and for those of us that get to a place in life where we think all of a sudden we've become the big people. Right. And people below us are little people. We need to wake up. There are no little people. I would love to go to somebody and say, hey, you're just a CEO. Yeah. You know, I should go, what? Yeah. You know, if that's how you. Well, I have a friend that works with CEOs, exclusively with CEOs, and most of them struggle. And they sure. they are just a CEO. And <laughs> what else is there in life? And gosh, you know, I'm just a CEO and life doesn't have the meaning that I thought it would once I became a CEO. Right, right. Okay, I want to go back. You said something. You started talking about your mom. There was a line in the book that I think is probably the best career advice anyone could give anyone, your mom gave it to you. And that line was, find something where you can be who you really are. So go back to that moment. You're struggling in college at that point. What did that mean to you then? And now all these years later, when you look at that and you can unwrap that a little more, unwrap that for us, what else was in that statement? I think it's interesting. As we get older, we understand words we didn't when we were younger. Yeah. The value of being genuine. Mm. the value of being authentic, the value of being who you are. Too often we try to compare or be something we're not or wear several different faces so you don't see who we are. We're afraid of vulnerability. I am not. I am a terrible, terrible example with this. When I meet you, I'll tell you anything you want to know the first day and not care (laughs) or hold it against you or play truth or dare. I'm just like, you want to know? Here it is. Mm. And so she said, you know, you're trying to be someone you're not. So find a profession or a place where you can be who you are Mm. and you'll be successful. I've used that, Kevin, with countless, I mean, probably thousands of people in coaching, internally in organizations or friends or networking or job seekers to say, quit, you're going to get paid. Get over that. Let's find a place where you can go be who you are. Because when you bring that to your work, holy moly, you release skills you didn't know you had. You work from your strengths. And what it meant then was it was reassuring because I was lost. Mm. 
what it means now is why wouldn't I do it that way all the time? Mm. I see people and talk to people daily mm. that are facing a myriad of struggles. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about where you're at. Now, how about this? And they go, oh my gosh, I didn't look at it that way. So to be able to be in a position to have those types of experiences, encounters, love that word, going to steal it. It's your habit. You find it to be freeing. When you allow people to be who they are, I'll give you a great example. Julie, who's my payroll manager, who I adore, is a neat person. Oh my gosh. I mean, neat by organized. I mean, like crazy, <laughs> crazy organized. And, you know, for fun, I went out and moved one thing on her desk. I almost destroyed her. I thought it was funny. She said, stop it. This is who I am. And I go, all right. Because she comes into my office, which is a tornado. <laughs> and she says, how do you exist like this? And I said, how do you exist like this? But I am thankful that she is organized. Mm. Because it allows her to be the person she is and perform. If we would allow people to be authentic, I hate the stuff when you hear, you know, bring your whole self to work. It's a lie and we don't let it happen. Because we're afraid if they bring their whole self to work, then there's going to be this unlimited chaos. It never has been chaotic, by the way. My thing is, you bet. Bring it all. Mess and all. Dirt and all. I'm good. <laughs> you can't freak me out. You can't. Try. You won't win. Mm. And then when people pull down their guard and they're allowed to be who they really are, wow, you just find some very cool people. So what does it take to create environments where people feel safe and comfortable to be who they really are? I think there's three things. The first one is you need to give people permission to be who they are and do their work, not expect them to do a task. You have my permission. You and I are old enough. Remember when you had to get a hall pass <laughs> yeah. to leave the room? Oh, yeah. And there was a reason. And we were like, ugh, hall pass. But if you walked down the hall and you had that pink hall pass or whatever it was, no one would bother you because they knew you had a purpose for having that. And it might have been to go to the office or the restroom, but you were given permission. We've lost that in organizations, mm. completely lost it. We expect people to show up and we hold them accountable for visibility, but not for permission to do their work. Mm. Secondly, this is my pet peeve. My boss told me that my two jobs in my job description, and we call them roles and responsibilities, by the way. We don't use job description. Your role is this and you're responsible for this. And I know it's semantics, but words matter. They do. And so my top role is I am the keeper of the culture. Mm. My second one is I am the safe haven of the company. So you can talk to me about anything. Wow. People need to have an outlet within organizations to just let it go, whether that's yelling or crying or complaining or something. And it's safe. There's no judgment. And it's not solution-based. Uh, too often people just go, okay, solve this. No, I just listen to you. And when people have that outlet in a safe environment and they truly believe it and you can't lose it, it's the highest level of confidentiality and trust. But I've heard people's deep personal stories, mm -hmm. family situations, terminal situations, financial situations. And at the end, we have a good cry and a good hug and they go back to doing the good work that they do. Organizations don't allow HR to do that. They think it's, I've heard trite things like kumbaya and touchy-feely and soft skills. I'm like, yeah, you know, if you don't let it out, they're going to take it out somewhere else. Mm. Mm. 
if I'm angry and no one listens to me, I'm going to take it out somewhere. Mm. Why not allow them to do that at work in a safe way? Mm. And the third thing is approach. One of the biggest things I was told that was crazy to me was the people when I started here said, you know, you're unflappable. Someone can't tell you something. You go, holy moly. You know, I don't lose it. I'm like, huh, how about that? That's interesting. And I've heard some doozies and I've seen some doozies. But <laughs> you're like, hmm, okay, let's, let's work with that. There's a great author out there, newer guy, Philip Wilson. Okay. He wrote a book called The Approachability Playbook. It is like an hour read. And there's research that he's done, phenomenal research on true leadership is shown in how approachable are you and how can you approach others? Hmm. So can people come to you and how do you go to them? It changed me. I use it everywhere. Wow. And he's got a quiz and the quiz is kind of easy, but with it, it kind of sets the stage of, and I'm teaching this to managers in our company. How approachable are you? How do you approach others? Hmm. And it's amazing what it does. The book's approachability? The Approachability Playbook. All right. By Philip Wilson. All right. So those three things, the, the permission, a safe haven? Yeah, safe haven. Mm-hmm. Safe haven and then approach. Yeah. Wow. You said something in your book. There are a couple of things I do want to call out from your book. One of them, you said culture is the number one reason employees stay or leave your company. I agree, but let's unpack and explore that a little bit. When did you start believing that? My first job. (laughs) Okay. I worked for a Fortune 100 company, and I was allowed to wear a blue suit or a gray suit, a white shirt or a blue shirt. I wore a yellow shirt and was written up for insubordination. (laughs) And I went, what? What? And they go, how dare you? What are you doing? You're bending all the rules. And I went, what? It's a shirt. (laughs) and what happened was the boss I had at that time and and I had completely different approaches to work I was new I was young he worked his way up from the ground floor in the organization I hadn't paid my dues there's all this junk that came along with it I didn't know what it meant I just didn't like the environment and when you tell people where you left they're like you're kidding no one leaves that company I'm like "Uh uh-uh I didn't like it they didn't like me it was good It was by experience that I had it happen to me. In my second job, where I got to be in an entrepreneurial company, I got to experience it and make it happen. Hmm. And we reduced how we approached our turnover. We looked at how we treated each other civilly. Hmm. Long before this whole, you know, be civil in the workplace. I'm like, no kidding. Come on. (laughs) But, you know, it wasn't all wrapped in a bunch of, approaches and programs, it was more real-world, face-to-face, confrontational, intentional experiences. As I watched that and how that was allowed, I started looking at other companies. You'll hear the classic thing, people don't leave companies, they leave bad managers. I don't agree with it, never have. This is why. If a person's a bad manager, the culture allows it. Mm. So if you know Kevin's a troll, but he's a performer, the culture says, that's okay. You know, yeah, but Kevin chews people and he's got incredible turnover. Yeah, but man, he's a go-getter or whatever the term is, or a rainmaker, if they still use that term. <laughs> but my thing is, to me, it's culture. Culture is just this endless landscape and endless palette of how people treat each other and the behaviors that are allowed. It doesn't matter right or wrong. It just is. 
that sounds a little philosophical, <laughs> but you know, there's companies that are large corporate structured places and people thrive in them. Yeah. I would explode. Mm. You know, my office is a giant, you can see it. I know we can't see it because we're doing an audio thing, but I have a menagerie in my office and it's just full of toys and fun, but it's who I am. And mm. if, if I could not do this, I'd leave. Mm. So let me ask, have you gone so far as to rewrite that statement? People don't leave. They don't quit job because of a job. They quit because of a bad boss. You say they quit because of a bad culture. The Is culture it? allows it. The culture allows. The culture allows the bad behavior. I had a person when I worked in a manufacturing company who quit for a nickel mm. on the hour. And I said, you know, when you quit, you're going to quit. And that's gone in taxes. I'm telling you. Whatever you're chasing, if you chase money all the time, you're never going to be happy. Yeah. He says, I'll show you. I said, great. Good luck. Went. I found out he left the next job for a nickel, the next job for a nickel, the next job for a nickel. And my thing was, this guy was never going to land. He was going to be this constant whirlwind. But to him, the driver was, I need more, I need more, I need more. If the culture didn't allow for more because they didn't pay higher, he left. Hmm. So people choose to leave based on how you do business and how you treat each other and how you view each other. You can call it in any kind of behavior you want, but I found that if people are bad managers or bad behavior or treat people poorly, the culture allows it. Hmm. All right. There's another phrase from the book I want to get before time runs away from us here because I love it. And it's kind of what you've been, a lot of what you've been talking about, but I'd love to go a little deeper on it. And I'm going to tee it up. There is a Canadian journalist, Richard Ford, who's dyslexic, and he struggled to take notes. So what he's done is listen, and the way he says it is when people realize they're being listened to, they tell you things. Oh, awesome. You said when you allow yourself to be available, you never know what will occur. Yes. Tie those two together. I mean, you talked about listening earlier, and but just being available. What does that look like for you? In the past, human resources has this awful, awful reputation that if they walk into a room, death and destruction is sure to follow. I worked at some of those companies. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, you'll get the classic, shh, it's HR. Yeah, yeah. And if that happens to me, I'll walk up to that group of people and I'll go, hey, someone's getting fired today and walk away. (laughs) And they'll go, what in the world? Now that I've been here for some time at my current company, I walk up and they go, hey, it's Steve. Mm. Just like when I walk in, I go, hi, it's Kevin. And when you can get to that personal level and that personal connection, you have made yourself available. So I don't go with a reason or an agenda or a task. If there's that kind of work available, I do. I make sure to help them. And again, one of the things I think is important in my role is to remove obstacles. So if it's something as simple as grabbing the inner office mail for one of our pizzerias, so the general manager can stay at their store and I'm coming to your store, I'm taking the mail. It's mm. not below me because I'm an executive and that blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, they need the mail. Let's take it. When you show up, you never know what you're going to hear. Mm. Mm. And availability to me is not just showing up like, hey, look at me. It's, hey, I'm here to see you. Mm. Today's a good day because I got to see you. Mm. And my gosh, I mean, I just have countless experiences. It never stops. It fills my bucket every day. Wow. Well, I'm going to squeeze in one more question. From your work with SHRM, how is purpose changing the world of work? 
from where you sit at the Sherm table and see and hear. Yeah. This example, I sat at my dining room table and cried. <laughs> a group of people, young man, Usman Abid, he is from Pakistan. He came to the Sherm Annual Conference, came to a session where I spoke, and we walked from my session. And I felt like I was walking around a road and somebody says, I just need your ear. I just need your ear. I just need your ear. I go, Usman, I will give you all the time in the world. But please, he says, no, you don't understand. You have changed the way I look at people. And I want to buy 38 copies of your book. And I went, what? I said, what? What? He says, I'm buying one for my entire team. I said, okay, would you sign them? Oh, yes. My goodness, yes. Two weeks ago, he had a three-day retreat for his staff about doing HR on purpose. Wow. In Pakistan. <laughs> and he said, hey, would you come on and do a video call with me and give me five minutes just to say, hey, team, good to see you. I'm the guy who wrote the book. And I went, well, why don't we Skype? And he says, what? So I sat at my table in my house and talked to 38 people in Pakistan Wow. about you do great work. I love what you do. I don't know who you are. All this had happened, Kevin, and they didn't have a copy of the book. Not one of them. So then he had taken this entire experience based on something he read and did this three-day retreat, gave him t-shirts. We cried. We laughed. We had such a good time. And then at the very end of the retreat, he gave the book to them with their name in it. Mm. And he said, here, Abdullah, here's your book. Here, Syed, here's your book. And it said, Syed, Abdullah, that's on purpose. It's changing. I can't put my hands on it. I get notes every day, mm. every day about it's just hard to fathom. I can't put my hands around it. My hope is that it changes the industry so that people understand that what we do makes a difference because we're in humans' lives. Mm. Mm. Wow. Steve, thanks so much for joining us. But before we go, is there something else you want to say that wraps this conversation up, makes it whole for you? I think having interactions like this, Kevin, we've only met online and now we're looking at each other on a video screen. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's how we were wired as people. Mm. If we would take time to have more conversations daily at home, mm. daily in our interactions when we go to the store mm. or when we go to church or to a civic activity or to work, had conversations, not about getting stuff done, just conversations Life would be better for everybody every day. Yes, it would. Yes, it would. Well, thank you for joining this conversation, allowing you and me to have this conversation and conversing with you listening. And I would just say before we go, find someone to engage in conversation with today. However short, long, deep or shallow that is, just take a step to engage in conversation with someone. Thanks for having me, Kevin. It's been a ball. Oh, thank you, Steve. Now, that was an energizing conversation. I hope you're fired up for whatever is next in your day or life. Before I share my takeaways, let me say welcome. If this is the first episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast you've ever listened to and you caught today's episode because you're a friend or fan of Steve's, I want to extend you a personal invite to check out other episodes. I believe you'll enjoy them. Now, 
Let me recap today's episode. Three things that kind of linger in my mind. One of those, when you view your work through the lens of purpose, it changes things. Even things that others see as mundane, they become meaningful, full of meaning. La Rosa's isn't just a restaurant. It's an experience, a place where people experience life. So what does viewing your work or business make possible that other people just seem to overlook? Secondly, I love the comment that Steve shared from his leader. Acknowledgement is the best form of recognition. You know I believe that. If you were part of our extraordinary experiment, we actually included the acknowledgement challenge, and that was foundational to that. Elevating the ordinary transforms it into extraordinary. So acknowledging what you want to see happen in your life, in your work, is important. And then finally, this idea of creating an environment of safety. It opens the door for amazing encounters. Steve called safety the highest level of confidentiality and trust. I'd encourage you to think about what can you do to create safe zones where people can enter into deeper, richer, more meaningful conversations with you. Hey, if you're at a crossroads in business, leadership, or life, and you're facing a transition that you're not quite sure how to manage, then consider signing up for a Clarity Conversation. Hey, until we connect again, I invite you to live, love, and lead with purpose. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Are you at a crossroads or facing a transition and not confident about what to do now or next? Then you're invited to join Kevin Monroe for a clarity call. Go to kevindmonroe.com slash clarity and enter for a free call or book right away. That's kevindmonroe.com slash clarity.